Hey, Scott. Hey, Christian. <laughs> it is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to seal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lenz, joined by my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius, and joined today by guest slash uh, musician, I suppose, putting the music for the, the episode here, Paul Yoder. Just, Paul, welcome uh, back to the show. Yeah, just looking to give you guys your first copyright strike. <laughs> I always say to Christian that we have not really been a real podcast until Disney comes after us. So hopefully this is the one that gets them and we'll get a nice cease and desist letter in the mail. I hope. I have met a theater yeah. troupe whose name is Let's Get Sued because they try to rip off as many things as possible, hoping that they'll make it big enough for someone to sue them. Hmm. I, I, I will say, and, and I started with the opening crawl because do you know how excited I get every time I see an opening crawl go up the screen for Star Wars? Even if it's for something that's complete shit like Episode Nine, like it's it's just so exciting to sit back and let it wash over you. Nothing, nothing like the sense of, it, the immediate sense of dread that settled it on me when Episode Nine begins and it goes, the dead speak! And I... <laughs> Thought I might melt into my seat at the cinema. I, I actually did melt into my seat at that point. Now, that being said, y'all, um, this is Star Wars Month. And it, it has been a long, long time coming. Because, as, as Scott alluded to last week, when we first checked out doing a podcast, we recorded three episodes which went unreleased, all of which were on the original star wars trilogy now there there was also like the there was a bug's life episode before that and then we did an episode we did a we did a mini episode on the difference between streaming and going to the theaters however like those three the 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 three episodes on star wars became like the actual basis for what our format became and so i thought it is time now a little bit in honor of the mandalorian season three a little bit in honor of the success of Andor from last year, a little bit in honor of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, like, being set in space. And every every space Cosmo movie really takes after Star Wars in one way, shape, or form. This one goes out to the space operas. Paul, do you have any, any love or connection with Star Wars? I mean, you're an American man in his 30s, so <laughs> I assume it's unlikely, but I figured I would ask. Yeah, um, so my experience with Star Wars, I think, yeah, it was placed in my crib when I was uh, but a but a foundling. And uh, yes, no, I mean, yeah, the, the VHS uh, was present in our house. I forget when I first watched it. I mean, that's kind of how we all approach this movie nowadays is like it's it uh, it is existed uh in the culture 
so thoroughly that we don't know yeah it's it's hard to separate from our reality yeah it's it's metaphysical i forget my first encounter with it as well and i am the oldest kid in my family so a lot of times i would watch movies maybe a little bit later than the relative time frame my younger siblings would watch something like Funnily enough, Star Wars Episode Three would become the first PG-13 movie I would ever get to see. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I was probably 10 or 11, and, and my siblings were watching, I would say, raunchier movies <laughs> by that age as well. But I benefited from a youngest child, because I had a friend who was in the same grade as me at school, who was definitely a bonus child, shall we say, as all three of his brothers were quite a bit older than him. And they were Star Wars fanatics, and... He would teach us all how to play Star Wars at recess. And I have these vague memories of playing Star Wars. And it wasn't even like he got to be Han Solo and I was Luke Skywalker. No, we were making up characters and we were inventing mythical Star Warsy items that we would search for. And I'm pretty sure I eventually got around to seeing the movies once my mom caught on that I was playing Star Wars with, with my friends at... Uh, recess and so it was around that early elementary school time frame but i don't have any specific memories either it's it's so deep in my movie watching system i I, i'm pretty sure i watched it when i was three years old and and i have a very very distinct memory of it because my parents i've i've mentioned that my parents are not the biggest movie people my dad will watch um bruce lee movies and then everything else kind of makes him fall asleep but when I was when I was three years old, I was still living in Peru. My mom turned on the TV, and she went to a specific channel, and she said, "This channel is showing the original Star Wars trilogy, one Sunday, um, a, a movie a Sunday for three weeks. You will watch these movies because they are important." And so for three weeks straight, I remember watching the original trilogy, and my mom recorded all of them on a VHS, um, and the VHS, you know, had a time limit. So whenever I watched them, it would be all at once, and it always cut off when uh, Leia is kissing um, Han at the end of episode six, right after she tells him that she loves Luke because he's her brother. So that... <laughs> I, 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 I used to think, I feel like there's more to this movie, but for some reason, this is what the ending is. But that is, that, that's my first ever ex- like memory, I think. I don't remember something before that. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that would be the experience of Han Solo is like he just blacks out and like the the, the movie <laughs> life is over for him. He's like, oh yeah, oh that guy that wait you kissed him what? Yeah. Anyway, it is a little bit uncomfortable to go back and watch the original Star Wars, not even not even subtitled by this point. And see the ways that Luke is checking out Leia and thinking about how beautiful he finds her. And you get so concerned as to why George Lucas thought it would make sense to be like, yeah, sister and brother. That's that's where this is going. He definitely came up with that idea after the fact. Absolutely. Because originally, Darth Vader was not his father. It used to be that Darth Vader did kill his father, but then eventually... By the way, spoiler alert, y'all, I guess, if anyone who is listening to this episode has not... I would be shocked if anyone listening to this episode has not seen A New Hope. Because I get it if you're, like, a fan of this podcast and you are listening to, like, the episode on Edge of Tomorrow. 
to see whether or not you should you should watch it. But no, go go watch Star Wars. There's no way you haven't seen it, by the way. Um, all right. I'm I'm gonna I sent you all kind of like a paragraph different thing and different parts of the outline, but I do want to set the stage as to when Star Wars came out and everything related to it. So, um, well, briefly, but Star Wars does come out in 1977, and George Lucas is able to make Star Wars out of the success of another movie that we have covered on this podcast, which is American Graffiti in 
but uh yeah so um open uh with this big uh like symbolic um you know aggressive triangle shape uh chasing after this nice smooth uh oval shape and uh firing at it rapidly um uh boarding it with these menacing uh stormtroopers just totally wiping out this crew that like never had any hope of uh standing up but they fight anyway and uh we we get what we're into um the only good thing that happens is these two dumb droids get away from the ship uh, they land on a desert planet where they are found by Luke Skywalker. Um, he finds a hologram in R2-D2's belly, and uh, he likes what he sees. It's a cute girl who is one foot tall. He's like, play it again, man. And he's like, no. Uh, so the he takes them to uh, this, this man called Old Ben Kenobi, because uh, the droids are looking for this Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, I wonder if it could have anything to do with Old Ben. Hmm um <laughs> so uh takes it takes it to takes it to old ben and uh you know they get they get ambushed along the way by these uh odd uh sand creatures um the uh they get knocked out old ben chases him off he introduces luke to the force to uh the fact that his father fought in these things called the clone wars he gives him his father's lightsaber they're off to the races but luke says Hey, listen, old man, I know that uh, typically your hero uh, will just uh, go along with the first uh, chance at adventures he's asked. Well, no, sir, I got to stay and, and take care of this farm, my dirt farm. And uh, they and so he says, all right, good for you. Uh, really hope your family doesn't die. They do, though. Uh, they get. Yeah, uh, he's like, darn, I guess I have to go and uh, leave this farm and have wonderful adventures. Um, so they do that. They find Han and Chewie in a bar. Uh, an arm gets cut off. People keep drinking. No big deal. Um, they, uh, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he was wanted in, he was wanted in like three systems at least. That's what I heard. Um, uh, so yeah, they, uh, they cut this dude's arm off. Uh, Han, uh, also shoots a mercenary, uh, in cold blood, um, and, uh, they decide, um, in order for Han to pay off these debts that he's got, uh, he's going to take these, uh, he's going to take this old fossil and this, uh, this, uh, naive farm boy off, uh, to fulfill this mission, um, which is, uh, that they've got these secret plans for this death killer machine called the Death Star. Um, it's friggin' huge. It blows up planets. We see it. It's awesome. Um, yeah, they show up uh, at the destroyed planet. They're like, nope, sorry. Um, they get captured. Uh, they do some sneaking around. Uh, Obi-Wan uh, sacrifices himself nobly uh, so that uh, the others can escape. Um, and they uh, take the plans uh, away from this sinister Darth Vader uh, to the rebel base where they plan this awesome attack where these uh, um, uh, fighters uh, attack this giant moon. It's terribly long odds, but they pull it off because Luke trusts in the force. He learns to open himself up to his feelings. Um, he learns uh, to uh, stop being so practical and like, farmer uh he learns to be mystical and uh, jedi knight and uh he is able to land a shot with the help of his best pal uh han 
who comes back at the last second he shoots darth vader and it's awesome and uh that's the movie they get a they get a medal that's the movie except chewie doesn't get a medal yeah he come on <laughs> racist against wookies it took like 50 years he got it you know he got it later uh, he, he did eventually get it um all right yep now needless to say movie made bank i think it was the highest grossing movie of all time after it released until it was usurped by et i want it yep. I, I, yeah i believe it was et um it stars i mean come on mark hamill harrison ford carrie fisher alec guinness james earl jones peter mayhew anthony daniels kenny baker like it it, it starred many people I love the career trajectories of so many of the people attached to this movie because you have Harrison Ford, who becomes he has a legitimate argument for the biggest movie star in Hollywood for a period of time. He just becomes massive, and then you have Carrie Fisher, who is a Hollywood legend, daughter of Hollywood royalty. Who, who's who? Her acting career doesn't always go on forever. Movies that you gave five stars to earlier this year. Indeed, indeed, and. Carrie Fisher becomes secretly one of the best writers in Hollywood, and her her career of script doctoring is as legendary as her role in Star Wars. And then you have Mark Hamill, who goes on to not not have a long career as a live action. He's one of actor, the greatest voice actors of all time. But he's one of the greatest voice actors of all time. He's been doing vocal acting forever. And then you have all these people who are just basically famous because they're in Star Wars. <laughs> Like Anthony Daniels and Kenny Baker, whose faces are never seen in these movies, but they're forever iconic because they were in the C-3PO and R2-D2 suits, respectively. Now, is there anything that we want to talk about before we delve into this? Because there's a lot of like behind-the-scenes parts of Star Wars, how they were trying to make this on a budget, everyone who did not believe in them, but we could get into that during our review, but... Anything that we want to say? One of one of my favorite things about this is that what we often forget, because Star Wars movies these days aren't necessarily known for garnering awards, maybe a visual effects nomination or something, but this movie won six Academy yep. Awards and was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director and Best Screenplay. It didn't win any of those. But they were basically inv- they even invented awards to give to this movie because Ben Burt does the sound effects and he gets a special award. <laughs> and it's so interesting to think about George Lucas at this time in his career because American Graffiti was also nominated for Best Picture. So after a not very successful first movie, the guy then comes out with a sophomore feature and gigantic blockbuster that get him Best Director nominations that become Best Picture nominees. One of them is the biggest movie of all time. And it's so funny to think about how George Lucas's career has gone since then, where obviously he directed more, he wrote more, he produced more, but he didn't become necessarily this... He's, he's a director whose career is inextricable with Star Wars. You know, it's not like he became sort of a Spielberg-style figure who is this amazingly legendary producer and director, where I, I think most people would agree that Spielberg is a better director than Lucas. It's just funny to consider how his career could have gone and where else. But there's there there is a world where Star Wars doesn't do that well and it's just regarded as a cult classic where George Lucas continues to hone his craft as a director of other movies. It's because I mean the only other three movies he directs after this are the prequels. And then he's he hangs it up. I mean, he's in his, what, late 70s? Maybe 80 at this point? I don't really see... I mean, maybe he wants to come back and direct another movie. But... 
Uh, I think he's enjoying his retirement with his billions that he has from Star Wars. Well, he's he's building a he's building a museum. Uh, uh, That's in, true. Yeah, near USC, uh, his alma mater. So, um, but no, I mean, um, Lucas is an ideas man. Uh, yeah, he, he is. Uh, is he is all about the ideas and the imagination, the theory. Um, uh, you know, Spielberg uh, has a. He's a craftsman. Um, he uh, takes stuff uh, and carries it across the finish line, um, and that's why they work so well together on you know a number of projects, um, Indiana Jones, for example. But yeah. All right, let's go into our opening question, which is a two-parter. Now the first one is: What type of story does this movie remind you of? What type of story do you believe that Star Wars is? Because we get into this stupid zone where it's like a, it's not science fiction, it's fantasy, or it's space opera, or it's actually a space western, or it's a neo whatever. But it is fascinating to see what we get from this. Also, what do you find effective about the world building of the story? Considering he wrote a treatment so massive it couldn't be filmed. There was a lot of thought, and we just said George Lucas is an ideas man. So how... How do we like that world building? Where does it come across the most? And Paul, I actually wanted to hand this off to you first. Um, so, yeah, when I was thinking about this question, I can tell that he didn't set out to write within a genre. It seems like he, you know, he, he talks about being influenced by, uh, you know, the... Uh, sci-fi serials uh, that he you know watched growing up on tv um but i think his head is so full of a number of things that he just finds really interesting uh spirituality um uh eastern mysticism um the uh famously he draws on a work of comparative mythology by uh, joseph campbell called hero with a thousand faces effectiveness of the world building i think uh lies in its ability to uh grab from all those concepts and uh, make them relevant to the characters so um your uh luke is like the most normal person you've ever met in your whole life um moving into a strange world and learning to embrace it um you know han is like a, he's very like cold and calculating he's got a um a very like western like individualist get mine and get ahead mindset uh and uh, moves into a place of uh finding something higher than himself um and uh surrounding himself to that and uh giving of himself for his friends and then uh leia is this like exciting and provocative person who um has to uh yeah she is defiant um in uh ways that are really um interesting for a female character of that era um and uh is a force of change um that again i think is something that uh george lucas as a man and as a filmmaker finds uh really interesting so it's these grab bags that he he finds characters to stick them to um and i think that's what's compelling and what... I think as you talk about Christian, is what kind of story is this? 
sort of like Paul is identifying, there are these timeless characters and themes that make Star Wars feel so familiar and recognizable watching it almost 50 years later. I mean, we're at, what, 46 in 2023? So you have these, these archetypal stories, the Joseph Campbell of it all, that blueprinted a lot of future American blockbusters because like you said this dethroned Jaws as the biggest movie of all time so we're starting to get into the era where the new biggest movie of all time is coming every few years and you get to see the ways that Hollywood takes a lot of these storylines and iterates on them whether by putting in different science fiction elements or adding in superheroes or whatever the particular franchise is that they're working with. You have these heroes going on big journeys. You have the Western cowboy, you know, the, the wild Western man who can either submits to being tamed and becoming part of a community or stands on his own bravely against all odds. And you have that character just taken out of the Western and reinserted to blockbusters for decades thereafter. You have strong female action heroes who unfortunately don't always get their due, but Ellen Ripley is coming along shortly after Star Wars. So His prototype is you, probably Princess Leia. Right. Or Yeah, I mean, there, there are very few female yeah. action heroines, uh, in Hollywood at least, by that time. So you, you see the ways that Hollywood is going to immediately start stealing from Star Wars and creating the blockbusters of the 80s, especially, because the blockbuster as an idea is, is brand new by the time Star Wars is out. Now, I, I will say this is this is the first time I've seen this, and one of the first thoughts that's come to mind is this is a coming-of-age story. <laughs> because if we do believe that the main character is Luke Skywalker... Now, there are three main characters. I know there are three main characters, but if we believe that the trilogy kind of hinges on Luke Skywalker, he's being thrust into, it is now time for you to have a mentor, it is now time for you to accept the ways of the Force... And that, to me, was just really compelling, honestly. I mean, Scott, I texted you, the, uh, but I was going to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Perhaps the most infamous line of this movie that is, that's lived uh, on for all the wrong reasons yeah. for Mark Hamill. No, this this whole movie is a meme. Like, you know, <laughs> the, you you see some of the lines that, like, were too bad even for Hamill. And, like, he was like, I, I can't say this, you know. Um, but, yeah. But there's... It's, it's so fascinating. And in terms of the world building, I mean, there, there are specifics that are given in the script that eventually get, I mean, fleshed out in the prequels and get fleshed out in, you know, the TV series. I mean, I've, I mean, Scott, I know I've talked to you at nauseum about how much I think Andor is a masterpiece, and I know you do as well, but how there was an Imperial Senate Princess Leia is on that Imperial Senate, and then 20 minutes later, they talk about how they have dissolved the Senate, and now the Emperor has taken supreme control. And when it is just this movie, what, like, what do we, what is even the takeaway from that? We probably don't think about it, but it just really goes into how mad Palpatine is, and how power-hungry he is, and how he's very much the epitome of of evil and greed and pride and it's just living in our subconscious because george lucas knew the entire backstory but he only needed to put in that little dot there for us to be intrigued 
it's so funny thinking about this just this movie being dropped into theaters in may of 1977 and trying to divorce it from all of the context that we've gotten since then because obviously as a kid growing up the movies that i was actually i i actually didn't even see the prequels in theaters the only one was episode three i wasn't quite ready to see episode one and two in theaters but those are the movies that i quote unquote grew up with because they were out when i was a kid and it's so funny that there's just some throwaway line that george lucas is probably like yeah that sounds pretty interesting where alec guinness says obi-wan kenobi says i fought with your father in the clone wars and now we have not only three movies about that but we also have a seven season tv series and all other manner of side content delving into the Clone Wars. And it was probably just meant as this one throwaway line, what's a fantastical-sounding war? Because I can't just say, ah, I fought with your father in the Revolutionary War, or whatever, he has to make something up. And it's so funny to think about all of the random things just dropped into this movie because they looked or sounded cool that would then begin to be expanded upon probably too much in some cases, but would begin to be expanded upon by all of that extra Star Wars content that would come out in the years since. Yeah, well, you know, and that gets, again, to, like, what kind of movie is this? Like, it's it's a setting. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely, like, a very... Um, uh, a very... I don't want to say basic story, but a very archetypical story. Um, and it's placed in the setting. And the setting is a place where people want to live. Um, it's where a lot of artists have chosen to do a lot of work because um, it's provocative. It has a um, a mixture of uh, this odd, like, late 70s view of what the future would look like mixed with a um, this mystical energy uh, that is sort of a stand-in for... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a stand in for any number of things, but I mean, uh, the, it's, it's drawing on a natural human, um, understanding of the world where so many other movies like choose one lane or another, uh, where the human being for, you know, all places and all times, uh, has seen, a mixture of like rationality and spirituality um of uh yeah and it's it's something that yeah it's just something that a lot of people have picked up on and fallen in love with um yeah i don't really have anything intelligent to say yeah i mean paul i'm assuming that you've probably read this that one of the inspirations for star wars outside of um joseph campbell's hero with a thousand faces was dune and mm-hmm. honestly, when you think about Arrakis, Arrakis is probably the prototype for Tatooine, which is yeah. fascinating, especially since as technologically advanced as this entire thing is, the most technology that we really see are in the space battles. But um, there, and yes, there are droids, but everything looks janky. Like it's, it, it doesn't look like a crisp, serene, futuristic technology. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've always said, like, if you want to make Star Wars good again, like, film it, you know, like it was the 1970s. Like, you know, uh, film it with, you know, the the technology they had at the time. Like, you know, maybe maybe a few ticks here and there. But, I mean, that 
that was the view of the future they had and like that's the view of the future that exists in this universe and so when we start taking it to like uh the the places that later star wars movies take it it doesn't feel so much like star wars anymore it's called the quote-unquote used future concept Mm -hmm. that that lucas is quoted as saying he used that phrase to describe the look he wanted at the movie and you can tell on on the very at the very beginning of the movie c-3po and r2d2 look dirty they look like they need someone to come spray them with windex and wipe them down or or maybe whatever uh cleaning spray they have available to them and it's it's funny because people critique the the prequels for many things obviously and some of those are story related like why does han solo think that the jedi is some ancient religion when they were running around all over the galaxy 20 years ago or however long it was but it is also interesting just to consider the the production design and the visuals of the prequels as not necessarily a failure of quality, but just a, a failure of continuity where we have this very picaresque and, and bright and shiny vision of the future that descends into this like dusty grungy version of the future. Again, decades later in the in universe continuity, it's, it's a great look for this movie. It has aged very well because things that try to be pretty and shiny in the 70s do not look pretty and shiny in the 2020s but the intentional aging of the world actually worked to the movie's benefit in terms of its ability to age there oh man what was what was i thinking about another thing that has aged well is how the stormtroopers um scream ah and then all fall in like the same way (laughs) oh man i don't I love when uh, when Kenobi describes them as having, or he says something to the effect of the only the only soldiers who could have been that accurate is the Imperial Stormtrooper, and now Stormtroopers are infamous for having absolutely horrific accuracy and never hitting the heroes they're shooting at. Just one of those funny little things you love about Star Wars. Now, oh man, of the dynamic trio, Luke, Han, and Leia, I'm not, oh, by the way, I, I don't know if I've noticed this, this before, but many people are pronouncing Leia in this movie Leah. Like, they're jumping back and forth between the two pronunciations. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The, the movies... They also call the planet Alderaan, Alderaan, depending on who's saying it. So, you know, they're you know, trying to move quickly. Yeah, and, you know, if you've only ever seen her written, like probably some of those characters have, we're making excuses. Like, this is a good movie. Like, <laughs> you know, we don't want to see it dinged. Um, but yes, go on. Okay. I have always been partial out of the three to Luke. I don't know why. I, I, I think maybe it's because Luke was the one who had to prove himself. Because, you know, he's kind of dorky. He's a little whiny. But he's also being thrust into this impossible situation. Han was the one who probably came out of these movies with the biggest cultural impact i mean everyone wanted to be han solo that being said like leia also is fantastic i mean she is not at all a damsel in distress it is it is flipping that entire trope on its head do y'all have a favorite and and look every question i ask is i know that every part of this movie is perfect but which part of it is more perfect than the others watching now i say if there's anything that isn't perfect and i have to agree with the haters out there it's that as much as i love the guy mark hamill's best performances come later in this trilogy when when compared to the original movie here 
And I, I do love Mark Hamilton just as or Mark Hamill as a Hollywood figure. And I do think that his performances improve in Empire and Return of the Jedi. But as he has, he's, he's also forced to play this naive farm boy who has to be exposed to the greater, to adventures of the greater worlds out there. And he leans a little hard into that naivete sometimes, and he kind of comes across as a little bit annoying. Uh, do with that what you will. But I, I mean, but choosing between Han and Leia is almost impossible because they're both so. They're again, they are archetypal. They're they're tropey characters, but they are performed to perfection by Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher. And as much as I love Han for being the renegade that we all wanted to be on the playground, unless you were like me and you were making up your own Star Wars characters when you were six years old. But you also have Carrie Fisher playing Leia as this, like you said, Christian, she is no damsel. She is a character with agency. She's an action hero. She's the one who is coming up with ideas at the moment. She's firing back at the stormtroopers. She's not being ogled and objectified. You know, when when Luke looks at her, he looks at her as... as sort of this is a bashful look on his face it's a crush it's not like he's checking her out and getting the like you know cartoon wolf eyes that are popping out of his face i i love both of those characters and it's hard to, to choose between the two of them at, at least in this movie and i think maybe i sort of start to side with luke as the trilogy goes on because he gets to go do awesome stuff like train with yoda on the swamp planet and fight darth vader but between those two i can't pick paul do you have a favorite well, I'm curious for the three of us, like who do we think that we would be, you know, if we if we each got one, right? Um, I would want to be Luke. Like I, okay. I yes. like the chosen one who doesn't ever think he would be chosen. I, 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 I I'm not say whatever that says about me. That yeah. Paul, you're slightly older, and you have you, you know you have a, a roguish air about you, so you can be. <laughs> Scott, are you Leia? So, and and, I've always said I look good in a white dress, so yes. I guess that leaves me as Leia. Um, yes. <laughs> An intimidating force of nature you are. Um, Indeed. But no, I think, I think uh, yeah, uh, but between them all, so I actually really like uh, Hamill's performance in this because um, the, the criticism that I would have for most uh, Luke-like um heroes nowadays is that they're too cool and they're too uh like put together um they seem to just understand everything um luke is a like bumbling fool like he would have gotten killed like 15 times uh before leaving tatooine had it not been for uh any number of um helpful uh aids or whatever and by the end of the movie like he he is um you know it could come off as really obnoxious him being like uh super competent at any given thing or you know ordering people around in this rebellion he's just joined um but it doesn't come off like that uh he is um he's very like humble and takes a back seat in a lot of ways like he definitely has his opinions but um he is a negotiator and uh i don't know i so i, I really appreciate his performance and i would say that um yeah, if I had to pick my favorite among the three, I think it would be Luke. Um, I think he is the kind of person that we are if we were to step into Star Wars. Oh yeah, none of us is a Han. Like, like let's be let's be honest. Not a single, no one who has ever even guessed it on this podcast is a Han. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm sure uh, our our bud Keenan Culler would be advocating for himself as Han, but Ke- you and I Keenan's a Leia. Not true. Ke- <laughs> 
That's not a bad thing. I gotta to say, it's not not it's at one all. One thing I, I want to, one thing I want to call out for Luke is he is the central figure in what might be my favorite moment of filmmaking, not just in this movie, but perhaps in the original trilogy overall, and the entire Star Wars Enterprise. And that is the moment that has been dubbed now the binary sunset yes. scene, which is also the title of George of John Williams' track uh, of music that's playing to underscore it, where. Before Luke has even met old Ben Kenobi, he has just come into possession of these droids. He's had this conversation with his Uncle Owen and his Aunt Beru, who are looking after him. And he's asking to join the Empire Training Academies because he wants to go be a pilot and fight for the Empire. And they say, you know, maybe not this year, maybe next year. We need your help on the farm. And he gets this... I, I, it's like Lucas made a prayer to every god known to him to get the striking lighting of the Tunisian desert where they're filming this movie. And maybe there was some, some help too from the kinds of tools they were using, but cuts this gorgeous sunset as Luke walks out into the, the desert evening and William's gentle score kicks in, helping us sort of feel what Luke is feeling. And he doesn't say anything. He's not babbling to, to C-3PO or mumbling anything to himself. He just kind of goes out, gets some distance, and stands up and looks at the two, the two dual sons of Tatooine as they start to set in the distance. And William's score swoons and expands into this sweeping, romantic uh, moment of music. And there's even a little wind blowing Luke's hair out of his face. <laughs> and it's just a... It is the most perfect moment of underscoring these coming-of-age themes like you're talking about, Christian, where you see how powerfully, how desperately Luke wants to get out of Tatooine and go be a part of something bigger. And he doesn't know it, but his moment is coming. And it's such a classic moment. It's one that often gets put into like clip shows from other famous great movies. That's the Star Wars moment, you know, where they put it in there. And you think that Mark Hamill, for five seconds, is, is the most beautiful person that's ever been in a Hollywood movie. It's an incredible, incredible moment of just actual filmmaking from Lucas and music from Williams and even Hamill, just nailing that moment of performance. Yeah. So the, yeah, the, the thing about that moment, I think, is that, so uh, I was checking this time when I was watching, um, and by the time you meet Luke, it's like 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Uh, we've seen this like terrifying um, uh, scene uh, up in space where there's this crazy fight happening. Um, there is a, uh, yeah, there's this whole journey that these droids are going on. And by the time you're at the farm, you're like, I don't want to be here. You know, you, you feel what he feels. You're like, this is like, this is the worst place to be in this story. Um, this is the most boring, like baloney. And like, um, there is a yeah there's there's a longing for something more and then when it happens um no matter how much tragedy he faces we feel like oh no this is where he's supposed to be um and uh yeah i think that um again by the time we meet him we're looking for someone to grasp onto like some uh person with uh human normalcy uh who's not this like um you know, firebrand princess or uh, terrifying uh, space samurai, um, but uh, just just some dude who uh, just just has a lot of dirt, and that's it. There's so much we need to cover still. Let's move on just a little bit because, look, 
We need to cover Obi-Wan, C-3PO, and R2-D2. By the way, look. <laughs> the other great trio of this movie, if you Honestly, <laughs> honestly. Um, all right. C-3PO and R2-D2. I, I will say, outside of my good pal Wally, they are the best robots ever committed to film. They are perfection. <laughs> oh my! And, and the, because they're they're the comedic relief, and they're not alive. <laughs> and and R two D two who clearly is like the jerk, and C three PO who clearly doesn't know what he's doing, and the fact that they are the ones who introduce us to every single one of our main characters. Like what an act of faith it has been to set the introduction. Of Leia, of Luke, of Obi Wan, of Darth Vader, honestly, on them. Um, but what? What? Give me all thoughts on them. They're the odd couple. <laughs> you have the tall, the tall neurotic one, and the shorter, stouter, less caring, jerky one. <laughs> and they're they're so great to me because C three PO never stops talking, and R two D two only communicates in beeps and boops and therefore technically never starts talking. I guess technically he's communicating, but in just that C-3PO is constantly speaking and R2-D2 is never speaking, it also makes their relationship work. Where if they were both cheap attempts at comedic relief where they're both chatterboxes back and forth, it honestly could have gotten annoying. And I know, again, fan people who are willing to look at the faults of Star Wars or who are more critical find C-3PO to be a very annoying character. <laughs> and you can understand it because he gets so neurotic and obnoxious at times. But I think their their dynamic, like you said, Christian, is pretty much perfection. And it's, it's one of the better parts of this movie when you return to it because you always forget, oh yeah, we're just with these two droids for 15 minutes waiting to get to Luke. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is another, like, visionary aspect of uh, George Lucas's world here, is that this is something that people don't get, and a lot of the later movies don't get, is that, like, droids aren't people. They're, like, reflections of people. They're weird, like, cartoonish reflections. And so, like, C-3PO is, like, funny because he's, like, the weirdest, like, most neurotic dirtbag, you know? And uh, he is, like constantly like up until the last point in the movie uh where you know we see uh so much heart you know that he really does care about his friend r2d2 um but uh yeah like straight through the movie um you have uh these two characters treating each other like no human beings would um and doing things that no human beings would and uh but yeah it allows us to see uh yeah, it allows us to see humanity in everyone else, you know, um, in those final scenes, you know, when uh, I mean, R2-D2 is like practically dead and everyone's like, Woo, yeah, we won. And, and you know, th so there's there's a uh, there's a number of things that um, it allows Lucas to get away with the sort of cartoonish comedy uh, and um, weird reflections of humanity. Uh, without having to actually make us uh, care too much about these people, so yeah, it's it's great. I, another another influence he took um, was uh, oh my gosh, it's the Hidden Fortress, I believe. I've seen it, but it's uh, been a while. The Kurosawa um, movie. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. And the, these these two thieves that uh, you know are our introduction to the movie, who are just again cartoonishly evil, like um, 
yeah, you can look into it. It's not something I want to talk about, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really, um, yeah, it's a really smart move on his part. I, it's funny that you, you specifically point out the fact, Paul, that also droids in this, in this science fiction universe are people. They're treated as beings and not just robots or like the way that we treat Siri and Alexa, but you have the moment where they go into the cantina in Moss Eisley and the bartender's like, we don't serve your kind here. And you don't know really who he's mm-hmm. talking about, but he's talking about the droids and they have to mm-hmm. go wait somewhere. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. it's one of those little ways where Lucas is just dropping like a sprinkling of, of ideas into his fun science just fiction. Just a dash of racism. Just, just yeah. a dash. Just a dash. Well, and it's, and it's and it's suggestive, you know, of a wider universe, which is like, again, why this thing is so compelling. But, like, also, it's, like, kind of, like, how we would treat AI. Like, it is. Like, we would be super distrustful of them. We would be, uh, we would not treat them as human. Um, You know, we would always, no matter how uh, human they appeared, we would, you know, have some doubt whether there's any consciousness sitting around in there. Um, We would treat them like, you know, reflections of humanity. But I don't know. I don't know any, any further than that. I love that they keep iterating on this idea too, because there's an episode of this most recent season of The Mandalorian where Din Djarin and Bo-Katan have to help clear the good name of some droids on this other planet. You know, <laughs> like they're they're still using this idea all these years later. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Obi Wan Kenobi, played by Alec Guinness, who gets the one acting nomination Star Wars has ever gotten. Yes, Ian McKellen would follow him up, you know, the, the honorary Guinness Award for the single acting nomination in the big fantasy franchise. All right, we have 10 minutes. All right, thoughts on Alec Guinness before we move on to the action sequences. Yeah, I mean, very briefly, uh, he is, um, if you've seen him in other uh, works, he, he has he has a type. Um, uh, whether it's in Lawrence of Arabia or Bridge Over the River Kwai, um, he he definitely like has a type. Uh, but his um, he brings gravitas to an otherwise like very youthful and um, exciting movie. Uh, he brings this sense that like oh there are like old people in this galaxy and they've seen some stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, the if you've if you want to do yourself a favor, you can look up um, a little YouTube video of um, it's Obi-Wan's speech about uh, um, Luke's father interspersed with uh, um, scenes from the prequels uh, and sort of and you can see like reflected in his eyes, like even though Alec Guinness doesn't know anything about these relationships or whatever, uh, you can see him lend the gravitas in like he was a good friend. Uh, you know, he was, he was, he was the best at this. And, you know, uh, there was, uh, this, you know, the lightsabers from like this more civilized age. And, uh, you know, there, there is a sense where, um, I think Alec Guinness's, uh, Britishness, um, allows him to tap into a very like, um, uh, self-important and, um, a very, austere uh remembrance of like just the glories of the past um and uh yeah that i i think is really a great addition to this and also like 
I mean, he's got to die, you know, that's, that's his, that's his mission is to uh, bring this gravitas. And then, uh, you know, just when you think this is, uh, you know, he's the guy who's saving you all the time. He's got all this great stuff. Uh, he's your, um, lifeline. And then, uh, George Lucas just goes snip, snip. And then the lifeline's gone. And, uh, it casts you into this new, um, place where you're like, well, I don't know if they're going to succeed. Um, it's, it's a great move. Uh, One other, I, thing i like about the obi-wan character is from the very beginning lucas is kind of laying this track for the idea that sometimes the most powerful and advanced jedi are not the most serious and it they get they're on the other side of that and you see some of the again there are things that he says in this movie that have become memes in their own right like of course i know him he's me and that's now a famous internet meme and hello there. but yeah hello there which of course is now almost more associated with Ewan McGregor's younger portrayal of the character, but you see the ways that some whimsy can kind of get through and it doesn't cheapen the gravitas. It actually just makes the character a more, more well-rounded. And by the time he resigns himself to becoming one with the force and, and letting Darth Vader swipe his lightsaber through him, you see that little smile on his face. And, and he, again, knows that he's one, is not afraid to let go and let Luke become the hero of the story. And I, again, love that about the character. There's so much there, even though Guinness doesn't enter the movie until, you know, 25 minutes in and doesn't get to stick around to the end. Okay, so we need to talk about the action sequences, but we've also have not mentioned Darth Vader at all in this review. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <sighs> Darth Vader is so, great, but he's given yeah. much more to do in Empire Strikes Back. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, this first movie, um, it's it's a great uh, man. I, yeah, you can look into the history of like how uh, they put this character together, but they have this like giant, um, you know, uh, creature in the suit, uh, and uh, James Earl Jones um, just belching uh, his lines in like a really uh, intimidating way. Um, and uh, yeah, the um, but oh my gosh. The fights, uh, the the lightsaber battle was really interesting to me this time around because it, it looks a little bit like more desperate, you know, like um, I've heard it compared to like, oh, there's these two old men, they're past their prime or whatever. Like, no, I think it's like it's like how you would actually uh, fight with a sword if you, you know, it, like these are lasers. Like if they hit you, you will be uh, incinerated. Um, it's based it's, off of Kenya. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, that was yeah, the traditional. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's cool when you've got a general grievous with eight arms and they're all like spinning in 360 but it was originally is it cool though is it cool though i don't know i, de I just yeah. I, I defend the prequels i say look they are trash but they, they yeah. do, you could you could be doing worse things they're fun trash absolutely yep there's always going to be a part of me that's that's 11 at heart and seeing that movie for mm -hmm. the first time so mm -hmm. <laughs> yes general grievous is cool darn it all right that's fine. anyway <laughs> no, but look, when Darth Vader gets into his own TIE fighter and starts to attack, like, Luke. Also, I didn't realize until this time, there were, like, two other TIE fighters in front of Luke who were supposed to try to destroy that Death Star. It wasn't Luke, you know, trying and being given all that gravitas at the beginning. No, it's like a, damn, everyone is failing. I need to use the Force now. And it's such, like, the same way that Alec Guinness does the absolutely iconic these are not the droids you're looking for it is the uh, 
I'm going to god my missiles into this Death Star to destroy it. And it is fascinating, especially because Darth Vader is inside. His TIE fighter is black. The uh, He is not saying anything. It's just someone, honestly, in a mask turning this way and that. And it, mm-hmm. it's it's thrilling. You have you do not have the Imperial March. The Imperial March does not get added on until Empire Strikes Back. But you have the soaring score, which is wonderful. Which is just wonderful here. <sighs> it's like, yeah, man. I mean, that's the thing is like, it's like when you hear a noise over and over and it becomes like music. Um, that's that's what these memes are you know from the from the star wars movies it's like you just hear them over and over and it's like is that something i don't know continue all right the oh man what 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 uh, we we haven't discussed darth vader that well that that much yet um question for you all because darth vader to me yes is an evil antagonist here and the costume is just so iconic. I, I I, love how mysterious he is, though. Like, to me, just the mystery of it's someone completely coded. At this point, we don't know why he covers his face. At, like, at this point, we just know that he is someone whom we do not see, who has the most massive, like, deep voice of all time. And when he... Oh, no, no. What were you going to say, Scott? I was going to say, when he enters the movie, it's one of the great, oh my, who is this moments that you get watching movies. And again, I can't, I cannot imagine being, especially like a kid, uh, a young person watching this movie being like, just dumbfounded at this terrifying villain who has marched through onto this spaceship. The only thing I know is that he's the bad guy and the bad guy's just shown up in this giant, like scary black costume he's got a big cape and james earl jones has a very imposing voice <laughs> it's just an incredible introduction to a character who like you said will become more important over the next couple of movies here not and he's the primary antagonist of this movie but we're far more focused on the adventures of the heroes and he grows in importance narratively of course as we get the big reveal at the end of empire but very great introduction to an all-time great creation of the movies yeah, and the other thing we know about him is that he killed Luke's dad, you know? Um, so, like, in the end, when he is uh, lining up to shoot Luke, he's like, the Force is strong with this one. It's like, okay, all right, is this going to happen? Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the trick with Darth Vader is I don't... Yeah, you don't see this too often. Like, you couldn't put somebody in a black suit today without it being Darth Vader, you know? Like, you couldn't do that with a villain. Um, and uh, the uh, the intimidation is, again, the mystery of it all. Like, who's behind the mask? And uh, I think they do a great job in this trilogy of um, hiding his face uh, and only showing little bits and pieces of, like, how truly... Um, horrifying he must be under there um right up until the very end when you know spoilers for the third but um you see him as a human being um and uh man again great tricks like it's it's like uh it's it's like the prestige you know uh these we're seeing the first act here of the of the magic trick where like some like wonderful thing is happening and only later do we realize like how genius it truly was 
um, because we're setting up all these uh, other wonderful things. So, yeah. All right. Before I ask you all, um, why do we still love Star Wars? I, I do want to say, Scott, I think that we need to create a new thing at the end of the year. Look, we only choose one Best Picture winner. That's just not enough at this point. Like, we need to... <laughs> We need to start either a Hall of Fame or a Scott's Picks and Christian's Picks because this is just... We can't go through the entire original trilogy <laughs> and only pick yeah, maybe. one Best Picture winner at the end of the year. Could, could be problematic. All right. Now, why do we still love this movie? Why is this such a joy to return to 40, however, almost 50 years later? I, th- I think, obviously, there are some very surface-level reasons. Where, like we identified, this is a very classical, timeless story. And although it's very familiar to us now, it's this brand new world that was spawned out of one wild dude's imagination, creating this great conflict between the rebels we believe in and the scary empire. And that story is... is always going to work on some level and Hollywood has returned to it over and over and over again. And sometimes they do it poorly because they try to over mythologize things too much at the beginning, or they don't find the right balance for the characters. You know, you don't get enough of a certain character. You get way too much of a certain Jar Jar Binks style character, you know, but the way that it's executed here in star Wars is just, again, I've used this word several times, so sorry for my, my lack of vocabulary, which Darth Vader may find disturbing, but it's just timeless. It's, it's the kind of movie that, even if this didn't become a franchise, like you said, Christian, it would have been a cult classic. It would have been a movie that people would have loved, no matter what. And, again, you, then you add in the legendary performances from people like Harrison Ford, who, again, would go on to become a massive movie star, and this is one of his first big parts. And the John Williams score, which, again, he would become one of the, if not the most influential film composers of all time. And here he is working I, I, on this I think rinky-dink science fiction movie. I mean, I, 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 I think, I, I, I do think that John Williams is the best composer ever. He, he has and, created the most, I mean, look, Jaws, this, even smaller, AI, bigger, um... Superman Indiana Jones, what? Superman, Superman, seventies. So it's like, like it is. It's incredible what that man did. And so I think you factor in that that story that would have worked no matter what. Plus, they, you know, you couldn't have if you're George Lucas or the producer. You know, you, you couldn't have necessarily envisioned who Harrison Ford would have become, who Carrie Fisher would have become, who John Williams would have become whatever you know but you have all of these amazing people on the same production at the same time and it literally changed movies forever (laughs) like altered the course of american history in some ways ronald reagan was naming his initiatives (laughs) like after this movie the star wars defense program so it's uh, yeah there are there are many many reasons why we still love this movie too many to name, I'm sure. But now I've been talking, and it's, it's definitely time to share a spotlight. No, it's good. Um, so, And that's actually a really interesting point about Ronald Reagan is, uh, you know, uh, he famously compared uh, the Soviet Union and communism to the evil empire, you know. Um, and uh, it was this uh, grand adventure and everyone missing the point for um, so many years because uh, 
you know, if you're America, um, you know, uh, oppressing uh, many across uh, the world, um, as as uh, you know, was part as of America is want to do. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, uh, you you look at how can you look at these like uh, ragtag rebels um, and uh, be like, that's us. You know, um, it, granted, like you know, the the Soviet Union and China are still there. Um, you know, when uh, and and still, you know, pretty powerful enemies at the time but um this movie is made by rebels it's uh made by um uh a bunch of people who are not uh establishment features um everyone with money who uh you know uh was tempted to uh finance this thing was uh either fired or laughed out of the room um it is a uh it is something antithetical to Hollywood, which is the, you know, original IP, um, you know, uh, fairly, fairly high budget, uh, high concept um, swing uh, that, yeah, it just, it, it scares, um, you know, people with money. And so now Disney has it and Disney is the empire and it's a, um, you they, they can't, uh, you know, Good things have come out of, uh, you know, Star Wars recently, um, practically against Disney's wishes, you know, um, like any, any, uh, any good season, um, just be prepared for maybe a decent season two and a very unfortunate season three. That's just going to be the reality because by the time something uh, becomes popular and becomes uh, safe and marketable, um, they get their mitts on it and uh, Disney you know, God love them. Um, they, they can't be cool. Uh, they can't be, um, they can't be the rebels like as, as much as they'd love to be. Um, the, uh, yeah. And I, I think as to like why we still love it, like it is that, um, it's, it's an underdog story told, you know, by underdogs. It is a, um, it's something bright and fresh and new um and yet timeless at the same time um it is something where uh you know this is why people uh leave the film industry so often is because they want to make this movie and they can't um because it's a it was it was a fluke uh, that this got through uh the the money people um and that's why we love it uh it's it's a bright shining gem and um I'm not saying it can't happen anymore. Uh, it most certainly will, but um, yeah, we won't see it coming. Man, I I love it for a bunch of reasons, and a lot of them are just not related to the filmmaking. I love it because it made my parents love a movie. Like, like this is synonymous with... This might be the quintessential my dad showed me this movie when I was young, you know? Except it was my mom who showed me this movie when I was young. And so... The fact that it had that, you know, staying power. I mean, people make lists now of when I have kids, how old do I have to wait for them in order to show them Star Wars? Like, that's the kind of power that that movie has. And I mean, I make that list too. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the day that I can show them Wally. I'm waiting for the day that I can show them Birdman. I'm waiting for the day that I can show them Star Wars. You're waiting for the day that you can show your children Birdman, Christian? Yeah, Birdman. like, prefer. Yeah, before Star Wars, obviously. Like, the. <laughs> Look, it, it it we we need to start them young. Yeah. <laughs> I I I need to mold them into the movie image that I want them to have. 
I need to take away all of their desires. I need to dissolve the Senate. I need to. The Senate, I need to... Is that like you and your eventual spouse. Exactly. You know? Join me, but, and we can rule the galaxy together, as father and, and son. And the galaxy is just these however many kids we have. Yes. <laughs> it's just the home, yeah. Uh, but that's that's why I love this movie because it made my parents love that movie. Now that's beautiful. All right. I do think that's something special about Star Wars mm-hmm. is now it's this massive multimedia franchise and it disappoints as often as it delights. And people get so mad about, especially modern day Disney run Star Wars. You know, there was all the controversy over episode eight and then episode nine comes out and is generally regarded as a bit of a stinker, especially in how it tried to react to episode eight. Oh, it's you blue the TV shows that have been hit or miss, like Paul, like you're indicating, you know, the Mandalorian widely acclaimed first season, generally acclaimed second season. And then the third season's kind of, it's stuck where it has its fans and it has a lot more critics than the previous seasons. But back to the beginning, there is just that sense of purity. Like when this was just the ragtag filmmakers trying to rustle up as much money as they could to go out into the desert and make some magic. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's, it's just so, so fun to return to this movie time and time again. And it's why people like us who were decades away from being born when this movie came out are now talking about it on a podcast and how we're going to show it to our future kids. <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's, it's an institution for many reasons, but just how good this first one is and before it expanded uh, all over uh, Hollywood and the world is a testament to that. All right. Let's end the discussion there. Next week, we will be discussing... I'm stepping on your turf, Scott. I'm sorry. But next week, we will be discussing Empire Strikes Back. Um, We're going to have, I believe, two guests. Um, You don't know one of them, Scott. But we're trying to make sure schedules line up before before we start. We we go ahead. But I do think we're going to have two guests. Are you going to surprise me in one of the guests that I don't know about? George Lucas? Huh? Is Georgie coming on the pod? Um, I believe that if I knew George Lucas, I would not have this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Um, Because I would very much so have us do a trio podcast with him. Hmm. You know? Sort of George Lucas talk show, if you will. And it would only be on the changes that he has made to the original trilogy over the years. <laughs> I mean, it's just really important to me that we see these uh, computer-generated creatures walking around Moss Eisley. They really ask to the appeal of the film. No, I want George. the I want the aliens <laughs> I want the aliens to be uh, more racist, please. Uh, I think it's really important for the kids. Uh, Guys, this is not what George Lucas sounds like. <laughs> uh, Christian. I think it is. All right. Um, Scott, send us off. I would love to send us off, Christian. Can I ask you one final question? Sure. And this is for you too, Paul. Uh, how utterly insane is it that we see the singed corpses, skeletons, actually, of Luke Skywalker's <laughs> aunt and uncle? There's, a, like, there's, a, there's action figures. Me? There's action figures you can buy nowadays. <laughs> it's just <laughs> of, uh, Uncle Ben and Amber. Just as a kid, that just either it goes soaring over your head, or you're just scarred forever. Where you're like, 
I don't know. Now as an adult, I'm just thinking about how brutally traumatized Luke Skywalker would be seeing the legit skeletons of his his kin burned on their very doorstep. Like, he wouldn't be flying an X-Wing and saving the world. He'd be in therapy forever. Like, every well, that's... time you go home now, you're scared that there's going to be new corpses. Isn't the best therapy to commit terrorism against imperialist governments? I think so. <laughs> and Yeah, and it's so easy to spin this movie negatively. Like, local boy whose parents whose parents were defeated by brave, brave soldiers Our of troops. the Empire... The leads troops. yes leads terrorist attack killing millions <laughs> those are not his parents now his his guardians see christian he was a rough kid was not living with his parents living you know, in the tough wrong part of town wrong part of town <laughs> okay okay <laughs> folks that is our show join us uh join us for the after hours political discussion where we uh, where we unpack the ideology of star wars uh, but just kidding, if only we could do that show, we can't. But we are here next week with Empire Strikes Back. We will be without our guy, Paul Yoder. So, Paul, as always, thank you for being with us on this episode. Do you have anything out there that you want to plug to any listeners who are like, this guy's got some great ways of, of speaking. Perhaps he's oh, got boy. ways of writing as well that I'd love to engage with. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I've said this before, but um, very much, uh, yeah, they're... There will be uh, some more content uh, coming out from the author's dozen staple. Uh, the uh, final draft of um, the Run Prometheus novel is uh, with people now. Um, book writing is a slow process. So um, I'm hoping to do a series of little story time videos, uh, um, a little, uh, little YouTube videos um, that uh, should be fun uh, discussing some other... Uh, uh, science fiction and fantasy um, uh, stories uh, that uh, most people uh, haven't come across yet. So uh, if you are against reading and for uh, watching YouTube uh, summaries of written material, uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. So um, just be on the lookout um, at Authors Dozen or at I am Paul Yoder. You search those up, you'll find me. And next week, of course, my good co-host and friend Christian will be here as we talk about Star Wars. But there are a few things that you can do, listeners, to support the show in the interim. Number one, if you could, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if it's applicable to your platform, leave us a rating or a review. Helps us reach new listeners and grow on those platforms. And it makes our little hearts warm and cuddly and smiley as we greatly appreciate the kind words and five stars coming in from y'all. You can also send us some feedback, which we would greatly appreciate, to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. And I know that folks out there are going to have some feedback for us because, as Christian mentioned, everybody has seen Star Wars. And, and so everyone maybe... who has seen Star Wars hates part of it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. There's nobody out there who loves Star Wars and is, and is unopinionated about it. So please, send us your Star Wars thoughts. Maybe you've got a hot take about the original trilogy that you just have a burning desire to let off into somebody's email inbox or maybe you want to talk about one of the other adjacent star wars properties maybe you're a big star wars rebels fan and you want to write about how you love watching the empire get get owned by the the, the crew of the ghost and you want to tell us about rebels send us again your thoughts and feedback to cinema podcast at gmail.com we love reading out listener emails here on the show you can also follow myself and the show on twitter Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Paul, you're an occasional Letterboxd user, if I am not mistaken. 
I love I, your bursts of letterboxed activity. They come and go, but I always love when you're there. You can tell, yeah, my, my activity uh, seems to coincide with uh, uh, very late nights, uh, just, yeah, just staring at my ceiling. So <laughs> You can stare at your ceiling or you can write witty reviews of movies on your phone and send them out into the ether, and often I choose the latter. But folks, of course, until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.